Hello everyone, and welcome to Bouncing Back, a podcast about conversations that transform lives. I'm Will, your host. After a massively successful Series 1, we are back with more stories of resilience and triumph. We will continue to celebrate people who have overcome life-changing adversity as a result of an accident or a diagnosis. Listening to their stories will inspire you. We hope that you learn from their experience and go bouncing back to be your best. Today I'm joined by Ruth who will be sharing her story about her recovery which was 33 years ago after a car accident. So Ruth, can you tell us a bit about yourself and why you decided to tell your story today? Sure Will, thanks. I grew up with a mum, dad, brother and a sister than myself. I live independently in a two-bedroom apartment. I grew up in the Australian Girls Choir and the McDonald's Squad. The McDonald's Squad is a tennis organisation for children who have potential to be famous tennis players in the future. Steffi Graf and Stefan Edberg were my idols as a child. So Ruth, would you be able to tell us a bit about the car accident you experienced when you were younger and what was the initial prognosis from the doctors? It involved a small Astra which mother drove and a Range Rover with a trailer load full of rubbish plus a massive bull bar. My sister and I played competition tennis upon Saturday mornings Mum made it into the first intersection, but when at the second intersection, without noticing this Range Rover, Mum jammed on the brakes, and at the same time, my head was flung forward, scraping my skull. Mum had three cracked ribs, and my sister in the back seat had concussion and a few cuts, but like Mother remained conscious, we all wore our seatbelts. Were you unconscious after the accident? Absolutely. My, my brain was scraped into my skull. I lost all consciousness. And how many weeks were you, because you, you were put into a medically induced coma, is that right? That's right. How many weeks or months was that for? Six and a half weeks. So what was the initial outlook of your condition post-accident? So the Royal Children's Hospital claimed if I ever came out of intensive care unit after six and a half weeks, I will be in a wheelchair and have to be spoon-fed for the rest of my life as a vegetable. They asked my folks within this time if they wanted to turn off life support. Thankfully, my folks said no. I can't remember intensive care. However, I recall returning to the Royal Children's Hospital for a CAT scan where they attached many little plugs to my head. I thought that if I ever survived this, I would be a challenge in terms of rehab and everything. I'd be a different person in terms of who I was um, because way back then I was a different person. Everything was a bit of a a cloud of a, a storm that I was now in, mm. in terms of just existence. So after waking up, Ruth, what was the process like from there? Where did you go to rehab and how did it start, really? So I came out of the Royal Children's Hospital and I was in a trance. Um, the rehabilitation centre was in Glen Waverley, the Transport Accident Commission Rehabilitation Centre, it was called. And I was in the Bin Beale section, which is the children's section. Bin Beale means rainbow in Aborigine. And mm. it was a very colourful um, place in terms of the doors were different colours and very positive. Positive vibes. vibes. Yes, yes. Um, I recall being in the hydrotherapy pool with a hydrotherapist and my long-term memory was still intact, William. I mean, recall swimming lap after lap in the McDonald's squad training, but now here I was too weak to stand in the water, as well as held me up with her her strength. 
That must have felt like a very significant change. Indeed, indeed it was. Um, Overall, though, rehab was a positive experience and I've remained friends with two therapists, one who has retired and one who is still working. Not at the TSA yet, at a different place now. When you say you're still friends, does that mean you're currently in contact with her? Yes, yeah. Amazing, yeah. We hang out for coffees and (laughs) have fun. Yeah, amazing. Yes. So, Ruth, just to give listeners an idea of just how long and intensive the rehab process was how many years were you actually in rehab for inpatient rehab probably four to five yeah and then what did you do following that i tried to go back to school but it was high school this time instead of primary school and having an acquired brain injury was hard enough to fit into a school environment but when it was hidden that was harder still and i suppose Yes, moving away from your friends from grade 6 to year 7 was a huge thing as well, and year 8 and year 9, so... How did the whole education or schooling thing work while you were actually in rehab? Did any Was there any attempt at schooling while you were in there, or was it all just focused on the physical recovery? More so on the physical recovery when I was very unwell. Um, there was... Probably, we tried to get back into high school when, um, when I was able to just function again, and that was a bit of a challenge because of the condition of my brain. So, and but we tried. So, so Ruth, would you be able to speak to the attitude of the school during the time you were trying to be reintegrated post accident and I guess post rehab? Well, there was definitely a lack of awareness with disability in terms of what I had. And I guess generally, generally people with a disability in terms of who needed assistance with an integration aid to be reintegrated back into school, particularly coming from a rehabilitation centre into a school. It's a whole different story of how you're going to function in terms of learning and just the capacity to learn again with your brain having a bit of damage to it now. So... What did you do after trying that integration period of returning to school? I tried to do a catering and hospitality course in uh, in the Doncaster TAFE campus, which is a campus for people with all different sorts of disabilities. And to be fair to the schooling system, I think that they tried their best. They just didn't understand how they could actually assist one's memory loss. What was the purpose of that? In all due favour, give them respect, but... um. Yes, I, so I did a take catering hospitality course and I passed that because they basically had to pass us all because <laughs> we all had different disabilities. So, And then I tried to do an office skills course the year after but thought at the same TAFE, but thought it's time to move on. Yeah, yeah. How did you find TAFE was supportive of you and your condition? Yeah, or fine. how supportive were they, sorry? Yeah, they, were, they were fine because they had all different sorts of disabilities that they were trying to negotiate or to work around as such so they had to be I guess gentle in their approach with each of us in terms of what we were doing and how we were as individuals. In terms of your rehab and recovery Ruth what was your biggest achievement? Being able to walk and talk again that was something else. Uh, Public speaking in front of universities and schools. Can you explain how those opportunities to do public speaking came about? Most certainly. I was friends with one of the neuropsychologists called Genevieve McMahon, 
and she sort of got me into speaking in front of universities. So it was basically contacts. Well, it was basically people were, um, they were studying function of the brain and just the memory loss and brain damage. So I was basically there just helping them out in terms of... Amazing. Yeah, yeah. just saying that all things are possible. All things whatever. are possible. Yes. How many of these talks did you do? Quite a few, maybe about five or six. <laughs> not, that's not a lot, but, you know, it was, it was great just being, you know, being able to give something. Yeah. How, how did you find the whole, whole process of public speaking after your recovery as well? Was it a nerve-wracking sort of thing? Not really, Miriam, just because I'd grown up in the Australian Girls' Choir and I was used to being in public in terms of performing and just being on stage. So that didn't have a huge impact in terms of just getting up in front of people. So I was pretty confident. Can you tell me about your time with the Australian Girls' Choir? And this was before your accident, wasn't it? Yes, and I had to choose between the McDonald's Squad or the Australian Girls' Choir. And I chose the McDonald's squad over the Australian Girls Choir. But I had been singing for quite a few years as a child in this choir um, with my sister because we were both chosen from the school just to sing. Incredible. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And post-accident, you kept singing as well. I have, yes. So, yes, I can belt out some tunes, (laughs) which I thoroughly enjoy. Do you sing as part of a group or...? I used to sing at the CAE, I think it is, in Melbourne. We did a course for a year there and belted out tunes at the end of the year doing Christmas carols and things, but now I just um, sing for fun. Ruth, would you be able to talk about the cognitive difficulties or challenges rather that you faced early in your rehab? Certainly. Um, There were a lot, particularly returning to school. I'll pick up a book and I'll try and read the book, but it was in one ear and out the other ear. And in terms of conversations with people too, it was just very hard to keep where we were at in terms of where the conversation was going, what had been said, very simple things like that. It sounds like there were a lot of difficulties at the time with your attention, information processing and memory, which were all essential components of cognitive function. I can imagine it would have made life very difficult for you, Ruth. You mentioned you are a singer and you were a singer prior to the accident. Do you have... Do you think that because you were a singer before the accident that it was easier to pick up post-accident because it was in your long-term memory? I think so. And I think also having that ability to sing because music is universal and everyone needs music and it's just something that you can just take with you wherever you are. And Certainly. Without it, we're all a bit lost. Definitely. So Ruth... I know you were told you'd never walk again at the time of the accident. Can you tell us a little bit about your time running the Melbourne Marathons, not only once but twice? I actually ran the 10-kilometre Melbourne Marathons, William, without stopping. And that was all around the city and it was so much fun. There were so many people there and it was such an invigorating experience. And the last lap was of the MCG, which was absolute magic because the MCG is hallowed ground and those footballers (laughs) have it easy. So nice. Can you tell us a bit about what thoughts you were having? Because I imagine that would have been such a, looking back on your journey, I can imagine it would have been such a achievement. What were you thinking or saying to yourself as you were doing it? 
the great thing about running is that you've just got this free space in your head and you're just running and you don't have any worries and other runners will be able to tell you the same thing you're just running and that's great and particularly I think being in such a great environment of other people who are running and then the last lap being the G it's like wow what a, what a privilege could you tell us a bit about your experience being a rider Ruth certainly when I first moved into my area I was thinking how can I get into the local environment and I discovered that, that there was a local riders workshop so I thought okay great so I was in this workshop for a while quite a few years and over time we published four books which was fantastic prior to being in this writers group did you have an interest in writing I did as a child so and my best friend and I at the time published a book called my adventures at shark island with our primary school and I look back at that now and it's so bad it's so tacky but we thought it was so cool at the time because we were kids as kids often do (laughs) oh it was amazing but no 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 embarrassment (laughs) (laughs) did you do much writing during your rehab did you keep a journal or a diary or anything indeed I did um so basically my neuropsychologist one of my first ones was um, said that in order to retain information I'll have to keep a journal and in this journal I'll have to write appointments, notes, journal, tasks for today and special events. And so basically I wrote what I did, how the appointment went, what I needed for the appointment and if I had done the appointment I'll tick it and if I didn't do the appointment I'll cross it and bring it forward in my diary. Did you, I understand that you use this journal to sort of keep track of things. Can I ask, did you get any therapeutic use out of journaling or can you speak to how journaling made you feel or whether it was a good way to express yourself during that time in your life? Most certainly William. I kept a personal journal and a journal that dictated everything that I did. So I think the two separate identities, the personal journal was one where I could just express how I was really feeling in terms of what was going on and how hard it was and just to get it all out there and the journal, this diary, this personal diary understood, whereas the journal from day to day, it was just a way of just getting everything down so I would remember it. And so do you still use a journal to help schedule your day? I don't. I actually use an iPhone um, and that basically is... Basically, Advancements in technology. Exactly, and all exactly. And I use a personal journal still at night time. Yeah. Because I do like to express myself in terms of just feelings and things I think it's important just to put them all down in some way what do you find you get out of that expressing yourself in a journal just to be able to create your emotions in a in a different way of in on a piece of paper it's like it comes to life and it's like you can just speak to how you're feeling and sort of like it's a creating space for feeling almost that's right that's right so what kind of writing do you do mostly Ruth well, basically, my writer's teacher used to say, just write whatever comes to mind and write and write and write. And so I've got numerous journals at home that are accumulated thoughts and just different stories too. And then eventually they all become, you can use, borrow different sections of different pieces to include into one story as such. So. And the books that you have published, can you speak to what they are? Certainly. They're, basically, I joined a Canterbury writer's shop and basically we published four books and they were different stories from people's different 
experiences or different stories of what they had thought of at the time. And in all truth, the first, second and third book, and even the fourth more so, is um, a drafts on paper. But the fifth one I'm finally happy with. It's <laughs> like it actually makes sense. Like it's actually it's good writing. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose because I was learning how to write in that time, at the time you think, oh, this is great when you don't realise that it actually isn't great. But I suppose that's what the advantage of writing is too. You just develop different skills and you discover, oh, okay. That's Where your skill set sort of lies and your, which ways of expressing yourself you enjoy the most. Exactly. What sort of style do you write in if you have a style? Well, my writer's teacher said that poetry was my genre. Mm. So that was basically where I excelled in terms of yeah, my skills. So. You're a very positive person, Ruth, and I'm just wondering what, in particular, if there was anything, helped you to influence your philosophy, attitude and outlook towards life? I believe I was a very positive individual when I was a child. So, And also the true conditioning of the McDonald's squad was striving to become better on a daily basis. So I think that was already established and... I suppose when I was in rehab, I sort of put that towards what was going on there. So that attitude of always striving to be better, would you say that was the main philosophy you had during your time at rehab? Most certainly, because I knew that if I kept on going on a day-to-day basis, that's all I could do at that time, and things could only get better. Mm. Given the challenges you faced initially, how did you maintain that outlook? It was hard yakka, but I just knew never to give up because that was a choice and I could either choose to be gloomy or I could choose to be positive. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to choose to be positive. I love that. For someone going through something similar, Ruth, what strategies would you recommend to other people who are facing similar challenges? I would say, William, be gentle on your circumstance. Your thoughts and attitude will determine how you'll you'll recover or not. Time heals most aspects of your life, if you choose. One's past taught a rich lesson of shredding one's skin as a lizard does. Just when the caterpillar thought life was over, it became a butterfly. I really like those metaphors, Ruth. They're really nice. I really like what you said about being gentle on your circumstance, Ruth. Can I ask that... As the kids say these days, can you unpack that a little bit for us? Well, it is a hard time in your life. And so being gentle as you can be to yourself at that time is advisable because it's a tough road. And one aspect I overlooked at that time was that my family was actually grieving as well because they had actually lost an individual that was once a person who was something else. But I'll basically say, keep on keeping on. Can I ask what the grieving process for your family was like that you just mentioned? Much to not knowing um, that they were actually experiencing a different individual who I was. And so they had to adapt and even act. My sister and brother had to act that everything was okay for them when really it wasn't because they were actually grieving who I was at that time and they couldn't show that. Would you be able to give a bit of detail as to how it specifically affected 
You and your family's relationship? I was absent in knowing that my family was upset because the attention was about getting myself better. And so I didn't understand that mum, dad, my sister and brother were grieving the loss of who I was. Um, The child that they had known was totally different now. Do you feel like you made a return to who you were post-rehab? I think, William, I've actually excelled in that aspect and and just learnt life skills in such a different um, calibre of... Different... Colour. Yeah, non-conventional, as they say. Exactly, exactly. So, Ruth, I know the accident happened when you were quite young and obviously this affected quite a transitional time in your life. As you got older, did you find you had difficulty in particular with relationships but specifically within dating as you're older obviously i would say this has been a significant significant excuse not to try initially the jigsaw puzzle called life broke apart in a thousand different pieces scattered upon the floor with the kindness of time i was able to pick up one's telescope of paints and repaint life again After one's brain injury, life and relationships were similar to an octopus who had been caught up in a net at the back of a boat. Can you speak a bit about that metaphor you just said? Most certainly, because life was in a pickle somewhat. And so one had to establish ground, firm ground of, okay, who are you now? How are you going to progress forward? What's going to be your new your new outlook on a daily day-to-day basis it sounds like you had to do a bit of self-discovery before you even potentially thought about dating other people is that what you mean most certainly or having not even just dating people but having relationships with people most relationships. um and yes i have had relationships with people with men and um sexual relationships and they've been fun and so but basically um they haven't lasted so that's okay. Life goes on. When you say they haven't lasted, is that just because of life in general? Or do you think, is it anything to do with your accident or rehab journey or anything like that? Well, I think it has something to do with my rehab journey. Just the lack of knowledge, I think, too, of what um, my ex probably does not is not aware of what brain injury is. Like, that's what, that's what I find. Can I ask what the challenges are of having relationships or experiences with people uh, given that your disability is so, in a way, hidden? Most certainly. My last relationship, the man didn't quite understand the extent of the injury, so it just saw me from a like from a face value, um, woman with skills, woman who could do this, woman who could do that and so forth. So, but just the the depth of what the actual injury is, is was overlooked. And so I think that's where I'm struggling with this relationship as to why it had to end in terms of the way it did. I think we're still friends, but... Yes, I just don't think that there was enough insight in terms of where he was coming from, so I just thought, I'll fit it in. 
What would you say the biggest challenges you face are in terms of maintaining relationships and not necessarily just intimate relationships, but relationships with people in general, given that there needs to be a fair bit of insight into your condition to understand you as a person? I'm very lucky in terms of great best friends because I've got about five of them. And I've been also very fortunate to have other friends who have just been very, um, very just happy to go along with the silly me and the heavy me and the and the absent-minded me and and that's been great. But um, in terms of relationships where they're, I suppose, intimate. Yeah, intimate. Um, I suppose the last one that I had that was intimate. Um, this lad lacked a bit of insight. So despite your accident or you've obviously been able to live a very full and enriching life, can you tell us a bit about your greatest achievements, I suppose? My greatest achievements would be, as established, running 10 kilometres with the Melbourne Marathon twice. and After being told you were never going to walk again, I imagine that was, was pretty momentous. It was something else that was just like absolutely fabulous. And basically just being able to exist in in an everyday environment is just something else. Like being able to, as I said, walk and talk and just do everything. Amazing. I know you've travelled a fair bit as well. Can you speak about where you've travelled to around the world? Certainly. I've been to England twice, France twice, Bali, Scotland, Greece, Fiji six times. It's amazing. Singapore, yeah. airport. <laughs> <laughs> and just... That's about all. Yeah, and all these places you travelled to were, were post-recovery as well. Most certainly, yes. Amazing. Yeah. And pre-COVID, of course, and all of that. Yeah. So. What was the experience of travelling like for you? Amazing. I'd be on the aeroplane right now, if I could. Yeah. yeah I <laughs> so much fun. Were. So much fun. Can you tell the listeners a bit about what your typical day looks like now? Most certainly. Basically, I get up early because I'm an early bird, so the alarm clock goes off at about 7am. I get up, I do an hour exercise, whether that be lifting weights and then mat exercises or just power walking with weights or running around the oval, my local oval. Basically, I get a chai latte or a hot chocolate at a local cafe and I open my notebook and I just write. Um, What else? I sing a bit, I just socialise with people, but generally... I just fill the day with fun stuff and just generally stuff that's interesting. Given where you were when you first had the accident, I imagine that that routine feels pretty incredible. Most certainly. Most certainly. As I established before, to be able to walk and talk is something within itself. It's like a new baby being able to walk and talk again. (laughs) It's like, wow. And that's the thing. It's like just... With life, I eat it up with a spoon every day because it's just so... You an just amazing want to, attitude. You just yeah. want to eat, eat it all up because it's just like, oh, it's everywhere. <laughs> so, Ruth, how do you see yourself now and how did you see yourself before? I see myself before as someone who could not move forward, put one step in front of the other and had no chance of much of anything. But I see myself now as a person who is very, very happy just be, to be able to 
exist every day and live life. It's something else. Yeah. It sounds like you get a lot of joy just from existing. Can you speak a little bit about why that is? Because I think once you know what it's like to be not able to walk and talk for so long, just to be able to get out into the environment on a daily basis is something else. It's such a treat to be able to do such simple things again. In a way, are you almost grateful that you had such a different perspective when the accident happened because now you've got such a interesting reference point of where your life was versus where it is now? Does that make sense? It does indeed. And most certainly one would never, ever think that could ever be the case, particularly way back when everything was happening. I thought, oh, as if that would ever happen because life is so awful, it's so traumatic, it's everything bad. But fast forward into the future, you've got no idea how wonderful life is. It's just, you'd be like you're doing somersaults every day. It says a lot about persistence, doesn't it? It does. Don't give up. Keep trying. Evidently, you're just so far ahead of where you thought you'd be back then. Absolutely. And it's exciting because... Life is great. It sounds like you've made the absolute most out of your life, even given what happened. Indeed. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. Well, what thanks it... so much for coming on, Ruth. And yeah, thanks it was for nice having to chat. me. Yeah, thank you. Is there any last minute piece of advice you'd want to give to listeners? Keep on keeping on. There's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You've just got to look for it. <laughs> but it's there. <laughs> it's always there. All right. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode, everyone. I feel like we can all learn something from Ruth's positivity and her attitude, despite facing such a huge challenge early on in her life. And I feel like we can all go forth and eat life up with a spoon as she put it so well. Thank you again. And as always, keep bouncing back to be your best, everyone. Thank you. Bye.